Welcome to Creative Place, the podcast for creative placemakers. I'm your host, Andrea Orlando. The New Jersey chapter of the AARP has innovated a pandemic-era virtual program that creates place through local musical performances, local music history lessons, and the sharing of local cocktail recipes. The series served to entertain while sharing an important public health message on brain health. We spoke with Christine Newman-Young, Director of Outreach for the New Jersey Chapter, to ask her about the Melodies of the Garden State Facebook Live series. This program was recorded on September 24th, 2020. ask you to give us a little background on what the Livable Communities Initiative is. Sure. Uh, So, you know, Livable Communities and specifically AARP's work around livable communities and age-friendly communities really comes out of the fact that we are going through a fundamental demographic shift in this country and across the world right now. Um, Currently, we have about 45 million Americans who are 65 or older. But by 2030, that number is going to reach 73 million. So at that point, basically one in five Americans is going to be over the age of 65. And for the first time ever in the United States, we'll be a country comprised of more older adults than children. So our livable communities and age-friendly work really supports the efforts of neighborhoods, towns, cities uh, to be great places to live at any age. Uh, you know, we, we believe that communities should provide safe, walkable streets, age-friendly housing, a variety of transportation office um, op- options, and access to needed services. So really, what are, the co- what are the common combined aspects of a community's built environment and social environment that put together allow residents of any age to participate in community life and call that community a lifelong home? So can you tell us about the genesis of the Melodies of the Garden State program? Sure. So, you know, one of the areas that we focus on nationally and in New Jersey is around creative placemaking as it relates to livable communities. Some of this work when we were on the ground has really focused on things like we offer a community challenge grant every year that funds quick action, short projects in a community. And a lot of times those are creative placemaking activities. So some examples we've done here in New Jersey on the ground are things like in Metuchen, we worked on transforming an abandoned alley that folks were actually driving their cars through as a cut through to Main Street. It was very dangerous. Uh, So we worked with the Metuchen Downtown Alliance to actually create a, a staying place in that alley instead. And there's now, there's artwork, there's a beautiful mural that's up. We started it with some initial artwork on the the ground and some seating, Um, but the community since then has really built on that to really build that sense of place. So, you know, thinking about how we can pivot and transition some of that work, like everyone else is trying to figure out in, in the current environment. One of the areas that I wanted to still be able to focus on was around how do you still create this sense of community, this sense of space, and specifically that sense of like a local feel to virtual work. And coincidentally, 
we had just had a report come out from our global council on brain health that was talking about the great benefits and connections between music and brain health. And so then I started doing some research and I, I connected with this fantastic professor at William Patterson who had just written a book recently that talks about New Jersey's specific and unique history in connection to different musical genres or what he calls musical scenes. And so it had this very defined identity. It felt very New Jersey, very local, and it really talked about these four different scenes of music that played out in different areas of New Jersey. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to combine the information about the connection of music and brain health with something that feels very local and again, helps create that sense of community and place, but in a virtual setting now where we share New Jersey's unique history to some of these different music scenes and also get to highlight local New Jersey musicians and really a platform for their work and their creativity during this pandemic. So, so that's where this idea came from. And, and you know, what, what we wound up building is a multi-part series on Facebook uh, that does just that. We, we talk a little bit about the positive connections of music and brain health. Then we talk about New Jersey's as sort of a, a place and a center for unique moments in musical history. And then we have a local New Jersey artist who performs original music for everyone who's listening. And of course, you know, because it is, it, it happens on Facebook right around 5.30. So we, you know, we wanted to make it have sort of a happy hour vibe as well. So we also share out a drink that has a unique story behind it that is New Jersey specific as well. So we're two weeks in, we're very excited about it so far, but we really saw it as a way to kind of pivot some of this work we do to create, you know, staying places into a virtual space. You know, I think we all know people, or maybe we ourselves read or do crossword puzzles to keep our minds healthy and, and sharp. What is it specifically about music that helps brain health? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting because, you know, music across the lifespan has really shown to have some positive effects. So again, this is um, AARP's Global Council on Brain Health put out this report earlier this year is actually June 2020. Um, and some of the findings from that report were that adults who engage in not just listening to music, but making music as well, are generally more likely to self-report their overall health, their brain health, and their cognitive, cognitive function as excellent or very good. Uh, another recent study also showed that self-implemented daily music listening can actually aid in recovery of memory and attention. Uh, as well as improve mood. And it does so more than audiobook listening, um, especially in early phases after a stroke. So really, you know, this report and the experts who helped build it concluded that listening and making music, both of those together hold significant potential to support brain health as people age. And they actually came up with a series of recommendations. So some of the things that we highlight on the show are specific recommendations from that report that include things like recommendations to, to dance, to sing, to move to music. Um, these are activities that you know, they don't only provide physical exercise, but they have tremendous mental benefits as well. You know, being able to relieve 
stress. You know, I, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one who, who has this experience. If I'm having a tough day, I put on some music, uh, so you know, some 80s music, and immediately it feeds your soul and, and can really impact your mood as well. And, and again, I think, you know, listening to music and music that you already know has a very strong response in the brain. Listening to new music actually will engage your brain more because your brain has huh. to, you know, it's, it's kind of flexing that muscle, right? Because you're learning and taking in new information and processing that as well. So how is it going? The series? What's the response? Yeah. Yeah. So we're two weeks in. It's very exciting and it's going really, really well. You know, I, um, I have to say and give a tremendous Shout out to John Vajda, who's my lead volunteer and partner with me on this series. And he is the MC and host for our events. And we have had a lot of engagement through these so far. So for example, the, the session we just did last week has had over 15,000 engagements so far. We're having folks give us comments and suggestions for, you know, future New Jersey inspired cocktails that we can share on, on new episodes. Um, and we're also, you know, again, the focus for us was to make this feel very New Jersey specific, but we're, we're getting folks from all over that are joining. So we had someone from the United Kingdom, from Wales actually, <laughs> who joined us for the first week. So we've got, you know, we've got a, a pretty large, large scope there. We've had two different musicians on. The first musician, Rhonda Dunnett, is a fantastic soul jazz musician. She's an incredible vocalist. And then our second guest uh, was Beatty Lenz, who is a amazing jazz guitarist who just performed last week. And then our next session on the 29th, we've got a gentleman called Mike Montre, who's going to be singing and playing um, guitar. And then our final guest, Suzette Ortiz, is actually, a, she specializes in Latin jazz music. Uh, so we really wanted to kind of showcase some different varieties of musical mm -hmm. genres, again, to reflect the diversity and the richness of the the history and the the music scene that we have here in New Jersey with local artists. I remember when we were talking initially about doing this show, you were also mentioning that one of the another purpose of the series is to combat social isolation during the pandemic. Are you getting any feedback from people who say, you know, that they feel more connected or you know, because they're watching. I, I think organically, that's one of the the benefits that's happened from this, being able to have these sort of, you know, unofficial or social communities on platforms like Facebook. It's interesting to see how, you know, you get the comments throughout the event and how folks are able to, you know, kind of engage from not just in New Jersey, but from, as we've seen all across the world and still have a sense of, of connection, even if they're across the Atlantic Ocean. So, so yeah, that was something we really wanted to, to provide an, an outlet and an opportunity for folks for, and especially in a way that was creative and artistic. Um, you know, one of the things that we really focused on is how do we use this series as a way to, you know, deliver valuable, relevant content and information that folks can take and, and use, but to also create 
a place and a moment for folks to just de-stress a little, relax, connect and engage, especially in today's world. You know, we've been doing a series of healthy active living events. So we've been doing things like yoga classes, Zumba classes for AARP members. And the response we're getting to these is just tremendous. And I think it really shows that folks are looking for ways to still feel connected and stay connected. And we also know we're having folks that'll join us one week and join again the next week. So this idea that you can kind of have this continued engagement and sense of community, I think is really important for folks right now. So, you know, I'm really happy that we're able to to provide, not just through the Facebook Live series, but from a lot of our virtual offerings right now that we're able to provide those opportunities for social engagement for folks who who are staying at home more. So what's your favorite thing that's happened thus far? (laughs) through the series. Sure. Um, And, you know, I, it actually, last week, we had something really interesting uh, happen. So we were focusing on the idea of creating music and how the creative process, again, is directly correlated with brain health, you know. And so as John was, was talking about that, our artist who hadn't performed yet, he was sort of, you know, behind that stage virtually, but he had heard that. And so when he, and this was Didi Len uh, last week, he's a jazz guitarist. So when he performs live, he performed two songs that he had, he had made. Actually, he created an entire soundtrack and record of him playing guitar during isolation, during quarantine. It was sort of like his journey and experience. So he shared a few songs from that. But then he said, oh, and, you know, since we're talking specifically about how creativity is so important to brain health, I just created this on the fly while I was, you know, in the, in the waiting room, basically. And he played this brand new original piece of music. And it just felt, it was such an interesting, you know, way to kind of feel connected to that creative process and to feel that something unique had just sort of been generated, right? Like during our, our event. So I think that, I think that's probably been for me, uh, my, my favorite moment so far. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm sure that music lovers felt um, honored, you know, to be hearing a debut, yes. essentially. It yeah. did. I mean, it felt a little bit like this, you know, sneak peek, like almost like special access to something, you know, that was just, just for us. It was, it was really great. So we have some questions from the chat. Good. So Trisha is asking, how do you message the attendees about the brain health benefits and encourage movement video before or during the event? And yeah, that's, a, that's yeah. a great question. And then I can see here, um, you know, how is it sort of followed up? So our, we have uh, John Vasha, as I mentioned, who's our lead volunteer on this project. He's the MC. So as the MC, when we go live, he starts the, he opens the series, specifically highlighting key points from the Global Council on Brain Health report. Uh, So that messaging is done in the beginning prior to when we uh, transition to the professor who shares his piece on history and then the musician who plays. However, also, during that time, he he references, and we have a way we use Streamyard um, as a as a way to broadcast on Facebook. So we're able to put in banners throughout the the show, 
so we have banners that come up that give the specific links where folks can learn more, which is aarp.org backslash brain health. Um, and then throughout the show, so between when the professor goes on and then um, after uh, the musician, John will reiterate some of those, those points. Uh, and, and as I just mentioned, you know, what just sort of happened organically last week where the, the musician BD Lenz actually based on what John's comments were sort of cued right off of that and talked about, you know, his creative process making a, an entire album right during quarantine you know what that process is like and how it is something that is good for like mood as well uh, and then created a, a unique piece to sort of you know put the bow on <laughs> mm -hmm. are people making the cocktail recipes you know i'm not sure we haven't had it well so i will say john and i are because uh, <laughs> that's you know part of part of our you know hosting the show he'll he'll hold up the shaker and, and you know share the recipe we haven't had anyone say in the comments that they're sh they're drinking it at that time we do have folks that give suggestions though for future drinks we also haven't asked though we haven't specifically you know put out in our comments like oh is anyone sharing so i that would be interesting to to see because what we do is when we're promoting the facebook live in advance we put in there like what the drink is going to be. We also have a link to a blog post that has the recipe. So folks do have the option to make it in advance if they would like. And we also make sure folks know it's completely optional. You can make it, not make it, make it alcoholic, non-alcoholic, whatever you want. <laughs> so maybe I'm living a sheltered life, but I, I didn't know that there was such a thing as New Jersey centric cocktail recipes <laughs> yes yes so there are and again i've got to give a huge shout out to to my partner john who you know did a lot of research on this but you know we were able to find a lot of recipes actually you know there's actually the one we're going to highlight next week ties into the fact that new jersey is the blueberry capital of the world so it's a blueberry themed cocktail uh, but then there was one last week that was called the it's either called the new brunswick or the marconi wireless depending on where you are but it's named after guglielmo Mar marconi who was an inventor and very involved in the wireless radio transmission and his studio for this was in new brunswick right downtown by by the theaters so there was the drink named after him so yeah we've we've actually been able it's been interesting to kind of learn some of this too and same thing with the information the professor shares i think you know, for us who live in New Jersey, we probably have a little more insight into this, but you know, you go outside of our state and New Jersey is sort of always known for like, you know, we're Bon Jovi, Bruce Springsteen, and that sort of like Jersey Shore classic rock, which is a huge part of our musical identity. But there's so much more as well that, you know, the state, especially even going back to the technology that allowed music to be recorded in the first place. I mean, that came out of the Edison Lab. Uh, it came out of the um, Victor Recording Company down in Camden. You know, going through to the jazz scene, Rudy Van Gelder, very influential uh, in his studio up in Bergen County. And then an entire scene um, in the 80s with Hoboken and Maxwell. So these are all the pieces that uh, the professor talks about. And again, he, he just put out a, a book that talks about all of these. And then so he shares like a little vignettes and stories each week 
for, for our uh, viewership. So I think we would like to, if, if anybody would like to speak their question, I think we can unmute everybody now. And Mary, Mary Faith, would you like us to unmute you so that you can ask your question? Oh, I see Mary's question here about do folks come back a second time? Maybe they bring a friend. So Mary, that's interesting. I, I don't have a great way to track that on Facebook, but we do know that our other um, healthy active living events that we're hosting, we have a lot of people that do that. Um, you know, they'll attend a yoga class or a Zumba class and then they'll share it and invite their friends. You know, my, my thought is that that's probably happening as well through this, this series, especially since on Facebook, right? It's so easy to, to share with your networks the, the information. So I, I have a feeling that that's definitely happening. I know from just our networks, like our, our volunteers have been engaging on it and sharing it and inviting their friends to join. Again, it's just a nice way to kind of build that sense of community in a virtual space. So we have a couple more people who just joined us. Uh, Lisa, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, apologies if I am. And Marilyn. So if anybody would like to ask a question, you can go right ahead. Hello, my apologies. I thought we were starting at one. I'm Pacific Standard Time and that's what the, I apologize. Uh, but we're glad you're here now. <laughs> and As am I. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> so you have a, uh, so do you have a question? No, I don't. I was oh, just oh. to, you asked me to unmute. I said, hello. Oh, I okay. Orient, <laughs> and then I'll ask questions. I always have questions. Sure, sure. So do we have any, anyone here who works in the same field? Oh, I see we've got someone. I, and I'm, I'm apologize if I pronounced your name wrong. She's from Dartmouth Hitchcock Aging Resource Center organizing several public programs for older adults with dementia and their caregivers. So one of the things, and I, I didn't talk about this because it's not directly related to this Facebook Live series, but you know, in my previous work when I was in nursing homes and long-term care, I started in recreation. Mm -hmm. And one of my most impactful memories when I first started working in nursing homes was music therapy. And when music therapy programs would come in, the profound interactions, engagements, and impacts that that could have on residents, specifically residents with dementia or, or memory care concerns. And that's something that's always stuck with me. And, and I think it's something even when, you know, we're talking about brain health through the lifespan, music therapy absolutely taps into you know, the brain's capacity to enjoy and engage music through multiple senses, right? Listening, singing, dancing, playing an instrument. And those memories are, are extremely durable, even when, the mem even when the brain does go through um, some health declines. The music therapy really kind of can tap into that and, and be very beneficial for a wide range of physical mm -hmm. and mental symptoms. And, I, you know, I think absolutely music-based therapies are a great approach that can really pay off for dementia, dementia care residents. Right. As so, well as caregivers too, right? To help caregivers, you know, yes. uh, as well. Definitely a great respite for caregivers yeah. to have that time and space to sing together. And my challenge now under the pandemic is to have a 
meaningful engagement program. So what we tried that, um, what the Dartmouth Hitchcock Aging Resource Center tried was a sing-along program through by Zoom. So we had a musician in front of the camera and play and sing while we also show the lyrics on the slides and make sure that our facilitator can see everybody's facial expression with a gallery view setting on the side while slides are still on the uh, covering the most of the screen. But we try to pick up any facial expression of everybody and then it, between each song we have some casual conversation and but um, it's really difficult to have a engagement program virtually uh, in the same way like we did in the memory cafe um, mm. the in-person sing-along it's so difficult so I wonder how you make the any plus in that sing-along uh, program we don't have the technology to make participants sing all at once, all at we, once. so we mute everybody and it's only one way that participants listen to the musicians sing and the instrument while we let participants to sing and we can see them singing from mm -hmm. the images but we don't hear them Right, and the only time we can hear their voices are during the between songs when we have a casual conversation. So I wonder how others are doing in the under this um, pandemic. Right, I mean the only thing you know one of the things we thought about with our music series and you know they're different, but I'm wondering if some of the same sort of underlying principles could be the same. Is we kind of thought about how do you layer in different elements for folks because you know to your point when it's in person there's so many different senses that are being being engaged it's it's just a different experience so for us it was trying to add in like you know we have the sort of the teaching moment with the professor we have the live music we have if you want to make a drink so you can taste that right to kind of layer that in so you know similarly like is there a way to layer in um you know if someone's performing, giving folks cues to like clap their hands or, or tap on, you know, their, their legs or, you know, something like that, as well as, you know, maybe inviting folks to, to share in, in like a, like a, a shared snack or drink or something like that, you know, and I, I, I understand, you know, we had similar challenges trying to think, how do you build a, an experience that's usually multi-sensory? Mm -hmm in a in a virtual space um i that sounds really interesting though what you're you're working on already and i think one of the things right for all of us has been just mm -hmm. the creativity that we've all you know we think we're right. all creative mm -hmm. typically but this has really made us all kind of step outside of our, right. our right. norm with us <laughs> and i i really love the idea of dancing to the music but since we don't we don't see them and then be there to we cannot be available physically for them so we cannot take a risk to put somebody in a dangerous situation mm -hmm. and there is a liability issue as well so uh, we cannot really rigorously introduce dance movement for example right right to the to other program participants Right. And another thing we are doing after this sing-along program is uh, called 
stories behind the pictures and we show artwork or some image and then it's using those images as a prompt and then let them freely uh, their reaction and we had a training session before we start the series for caregivers to encourage caregivers to acknowledge any reaction or response from their loved ones with dementia so encourage the validation and then we started the series with people with dementia and also we encourage people to bring their own story or picture or object and share with the group so yeah I we love are that that's yes that's so creative so uh, i'm craving for any creative ideas and i and i love the idea about uh your i love your project about the fact that you also give opportunities to the local artists and mm -hmm. the intergenerational and also multi-layered like trying to stimulate other senses other not sense. only the visual so and then yeah that was an important piece for us when we were doing and i think in all of you know our transition to virtual it's it's sort of thinking about how do you layer in as many mm -hmm whether it's like interactive or engagement pieces, but do it in a way. And, you know, one of the challenges is, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, for us at least that, you know, there's a huge learning curve in the beginning, right? Kind mm -hmm. of making this change to virtual. And so how do you, how do you do it in a way that makes sense? Mm -hmm. that's right sized and it's not like, let's just do something for the sake of like doing it. You know, like I like to say, just cause there's a polling button doesn't mean we need to use the polling button. Does, mm -hmm. does it make sense? Like. Does it add to the experience? Does it help engage someone in a in a meaningful way? But um, mm. that that uh, you know, just listening to to the work that you're doing, the especially the sort of imagery piece is really really mm. interesting and and creative. So yeah, but we we my colleague is a great um, conversation facilitator, but we really need a strong facilitator to make this program successful plus we welcome anybody to join so our challenge is that we don't really know until the meeting opens that what kind of stages uh, dementia stages everybody's are and we don't want to turn away people who are more advanced and feel like oh it's beyond me or oh i don't want people to feel oh, this is too childish or too boring so it's really difficult to sort of um, tell at the very right. beginning of the program where we are today and uh, where we should sort of target. And yeah, how to right size it. Yeah. Right. right. Thank you. No, oh, thank you. Yeah. What, I attended the first in the series of four Facebook Live events. And what I liked about it was that it, it did feel like I was attending a university class. You know, part of the experience for me was a little intellectual stimulation and it, I didn't feel condescended to in any way. So he's a professor. I love the way he talks and how he engages folks. But yeah, we were trying to, you know, kind of build an experience that had those different layers in it. So there was music, there was drink, something to taste, something to hear, and then something to learn too, right? Because, you know, all these different senses, again, ties back to brain health and how you're kind of learning new skills, hearing new things, you know, like any sort of like new information and data that your brain's taking in is, is beneficial at any, any age. So we have a comment from Marilyn 
Uh, would you like to unmute yourself and just speak, or I could read your question also? Okay. Yeah, sure, that's fine. Um, yeah, this is really interesting. And as I said, we're in a very small rural community in Southern Colorado. Uh, we have a lot of ranchers. We have a lot of cows. We don't have so many people, and we are fairly remote in that we don't have a large metropolitan area or nearby so you know we have to be creative in a lot of this placemaking stuff that comes along we don't have an unlimited supply of people or um, ideas or places to go things to do and especially now during this COVID-19 pandemic um, we were very curious how people were passing time and what they were doing to continue that creative vibe and it's really been interesting we've only posted i think 12 submissions so far but it's been great to see all of the ideas that people are coming up with you know and we've we've not limited it to fine art at all we have music we have authors and poets we have fine artists we have one woman who is creating artist books. So it's really been a wide range. And I think that participation that you've been talking about is so important. And especially in this day and age when we don't have that opportunity to get together as often and, and participate in person. So I love the idea of music being able to draw in people and you know we're all struggling with how we can best invite everyone to be included in this new world so just thought i'd throw that out there as something that most certainly could be you know put together in any community large or small i love this i'm just reading what you put in the the chat marilyn about i, I mean what a cool way to still create right a sense of of community in the virtual space like collecting stories from your community and it looks like you've got like a multi-generational aspect here too you've got like someone who was only eight years old who who wrote a book and then how you know folks sharing their stories about how they're sharing and passing time other than the limitless limitless zoom meetings right <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. and it was really interesting like the little girl she generally would get together with her grandmother who is an artist and yeah. they would make things and do things and create things and now that's been stopped so her book is all about what happens when i can't play with grandma right. you know for a time and so it's really been interesting i think it mm -hmm. gives a pathway for those who are creative which as you mentioned earlier includes everyone in yep. some manner or another so yeah it's been fun to see how people are dealing with all of this and it it does create that community and that sense of place making that everyone talks about so it's been it's been really a pleasing response i think for all and, of us and that sense that right we're all in it together you know when you can kind of see what your neighbors and friends and family are doing and you're like oh that's what i was doing too you know like we're all kind of at some level ex going through this like shared experience it's you know it's different for each of us but you know we've we've had some of our volunteers do something similar in maryland where they're sharing videos on social about how they're staying active during during the pandemic and you know it's just 
just great to see like, you know, our volunteers that are making masks and they'll put a little video about that or someone's like, oh, I'm walking my dog, you know, five times a day in between Zoom meetings. And it kind of creates that sense of, yeah, you know what, we're all kind of in this together. Like I can relate to your experience. I, I, I'm doing something similar. <laughs> right. And I think also it's opened up the idea that, you know, so much is creative and helping to to organize that sense of creativity. Like I love the origami folding papers with the high school student. Um, I think that's wonderful. So it kind of ties people together. I've got one woman who may be submitting, she's been crocheting doilies. Her grandmother crocheted doilies, her mother crocheted doilies, and usually during times of stress they got very very busy so she's sort of like well i'm not an artist i'm you know i don't do anything creative well of course you do absolutely so i think she'll be submitting some things as well but it gives everyone the opening to accept the fact that they are creative in whatever field that might fall into which I think is really important as well. So yeah, it's, it's all good to create that sense of community. Thank you so much for sharing that. And Cheese wrote that, I'm sorry, am I pronouncing your name correctly? Yes. Yes, okay. yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that you provide technical assistance to those who need help with Zoom and other technical questions. Right. Amazing. So we, we had a program called Tech Coaching using high school student, local high school student volunteers. That was an in-person program. And then with this COVID, we closed in-person programs. And then we thought about what we can do. And the only way was to provide programs virtually by Zoom, but many older adults had no idea what to do with Zoom. So uh, we let people call us and we walk through steps by on the while we are talking on the phone and it's so exciting to see all all the adults get on the zoom and then finally see my image or the high school students faces finally after talking staying on the phone for a while and it's really rewarding so that's how we i don't know how many we we helped so many older adults to learn how to get onto Zoom. And now we have three sessions month. They And it's amazing during the first month, they were really struggling to just simply getting onto Zoom, but now people are getting more savvy and they like to host meetings. So we started a program about, called Zoom Practice Space and then how to host a Zoom. That's Monday. And then Tuesday sessions are uh, Zoom practice space, how to nav navigate basic functions in a meeting. So, and then Wednesday tech coaching is a place where people can bring any kind of technical questions. So sometimes people join a Zoom meeting and say, how can I cl uh, clean up my clutter desktop and show their uh, desktop using another device and then the high school students would say okay let's create a folder here and or by sharing screen or so we gotta be very creative to engage all the adults while we are mindful of the being simple about technology navigation of the technology so that's what we do and we spend a lot of time just providing technical support 
but we we knew that it's worth it because once they get empowered they will be able to join other programs and especially when it comes to dementia patients and their caregivers it's critical to let caregivers familiar with zoom because any technical challenges during the program can be a distraction huge distraction and obstruction so we try to educate caregivers first so that people with dementia can stay in the program with at ease so still it's a challenge that's great it's often occurred to me that you know these digital skills are a form of literacy in a way that's similar to reading and about the origami the folding papers program it's so neat that we see like a elementary school kids participants to the 80 years 90 years old participant or we promoted that program as a platform to meet distant grandparents of distant grandchildren. So there was a time that grandfather joined the program and then found the grandkid in the West Coast and said, oh, hi. And so they, they show each other what they folded during the program. And so they use that program as a place to reunite. So that was sort of neat. All right. Well, I'm I'm looking at the chat and a lot of people are sharing some great resources. And one of the things that we like to do in this program is record the chat and then share that out with people who registered. So we'll be doing that. And thank you so much, Christine, for, for sharing your time with us. This can only be a very, very busy season for you, especially with the advocacy work. Yes, piece of what you, know, you do. Very yeah. busy. Actually, my colleagues, we just had a virtual lobby day earlier today, you know, specifically focused on a pack of 11 bills currently working their way through the Senate and Assembly around nursing home reforms in the COVID-19 pandemic. So, you know, lots of work on that front, lots of work around supporting and engaging our family caregivers our work on livable communities, age-friendly, healthy, active living, and then also a focus area for us in general and during this pandemic is around fraud prevention Mm. as well. So, you know, like everyone else, I'm sure really, really busy and (laughs) flexible and fluid is sort of, I think, the mantra for 2020. (laughs) Yeah. So we normally do this in the beginning, but I forgot. So in this series, This is how we engage the sense of taste and smell. We raise our coffee mugs and we toast. So to being creative and making it work however we need to. (laughs) So I hope that you'll join us next month. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to our newsletter to stay on top of what we're up to. That's at cpcommunities.com dot org slash subscribe and like i said we'll be sharing the chat (laughs) and we hope to see you again and thank you so much to everybody for joining and for sharing your experiences listening to Creative Place, produced by the National Consortium for Creative Placemaking. Bye for now.